Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic and the Moon podcast. As always, I'm your host, David, and I am back after a pretty hefty break. Um, I'm sorry for being MIA for a while. Um, I started uh, grad school recently, and it's been kicking my ass. <laughs> and uh, I kind of just ended up taking on a little bit more responsibility um, than maybe was wise to do recently. So it's been a little bit challenging to manage my time, but I, I'm sorry about that. I'm glad to be back. I'm going to get back to posting episodes consistently. So be on the lookout for that every Mondays. And for those of you that don't know, you can follow me on Instagram at magic underscore and underscore the underscore moon on Instagram. And that's M-A-G-I-C-K. Okay, so this week um, isn't going to be um, like one coherent, cohesive topic necessarily. I'm going to kind of hit on a lot of different things that I have seen just kind of on witchy internet places I'd kind of like to talk about um, and kind of give my two cents in and hopefully maybe clear up some misconceptions and just kind of weigh in on some hot topics right now. And as a disclaimer, as always, as with anything I've ever said on this show, these are my opinions and my opinions only. They are not reflective of any group or tradition. Um, I'm not speaking on behalf of anyone other than just myself. So if you don't completely drive with kind of what um, I'm talking about, then like that's fine. But just so we all know that. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is people asking if something's a sign. You know, I saw this kind of bird. I saw an owl. Is it a sign from Athena? I saw a raven. Is this a sign from Odin? Um, I was thinking about Zeus and it rained. Is that a sign? Basically just anything you can think of where someone's asking if some sort of mundane sounding event is like a sign of, you know, a deity or a spirit or of some sort of magical something. First thing I want to say about that is I am not trying to discourage anyone that is a newcomer because we've all been newcomers and with the topic as varied and as broad as witchcraft is and with the way the internet is, it's really hard to discern misinformation from actual real things. So if you have ever asked a question like this, I'm not like saying that you're bad or that it's bad that you asked this. Um, and I'm not saying that it's bad to ask this. What I am saying though Look for the mundane explanation first. So, for example, if you keep seeing rabbits everywhere all the time um, and you want to know if it's a sign from like some sort of spirit or deity, think about it. Where do you live? Are rabbits common where you live? Is it a time of year where rabbits are abundant? Is it fucking springtime? <laughs> okay, cool. Then maybe it wasn't a sign. Maybe they. it's just... The warm time of year and rabbits are mating and there's lots of rabbits um if you think that uh you let's say you had um a weird experience where you like saw a deer or something but you don't live in an area where deer are common and or it's not the time of year where they would be like around and it's kind of weird that you saw one near you is that a sign i'd say more likely so um and why I say more likely is kind of what I want to say about this next. And that is that no one else can really decide for you if something was a sign or not. 
because these are personal experiences. It's personal gnosis. It's not really something to be verified by others. So um, that is kind of my second point, is that other people cannot explain for you if something was a sign or not. Um, that is going to have to be something you determine by, like I said a moment ago, by kind of weeding out the mundane explanations first. And then after that, going with your gut. Um, and with that being said, maybe there isn't a mundane explanation, like a mundane explanation, I mean, but um, that doesn't mean that it's not a sign either. Because like I said, let's say um, you prayed to Athena and an owl showed up, but you're like, oh, well, there's lots of owls in this area. I live in an area where there's a lot of them around. Well, maybe it's both. Maybe there happened to be owls there because they lived there. And maybe that is also a sign from Athena because you just prayed to her and you just know that. Um, so all of that to say, the reason that more seasoned practitioners might be frustrated by the constant asking of something as a sign is because for one thing, weed out the mundane first. And two, no one can tell you for sure if it is or not. Okay. Um, next one is kind of the... misconception of what is and what is not witchcraft. Um, and this is a little bit challenging to kind of explain, but I'm going to try and do it justice. Um, and I've said this before on this podcast, I'm going to say it again, just to kind of show you that I do know what I'm talking about. Um, and that I am qualified to say this, not that you have to have a degree to be qualified to talk about things or have opinions, of course, but like, um, in this particular field, like I do have a bachelor's in comparative religious studies. Um, I'm currently getting a master's in religious studies and I'm writing my graduate thesis on the Western esoteric tradition and the modern witchcraft movement. So I do feel like I have a, a well informed perspective, I'll say. So there is a tendency, especially online and especially with newer practitioners to categorize anything that is not in the Western mainstream of spirituality as being witchcraft. Um, and they're using it as a, a broad blanket statement to things that are not witchcraft. And I'm not trying to like get too much into semantics and I'm not trying to like police people's uses of words, but I think sometimes this can be a form of spiritual colonialism and it can be harmful about spreading misinformation. So witchcraft is not just everything that's not monotheism. Hinduism is not witchcraft. Um, the African diasporic religions like voodoo, vodun, candomblé, santeria, those are not witchcraft. Um, divination by itself is not necessarily witchcraft, like tarot. Can you incorporate it into witchcraft? Yes. Is it inherently witchcraft by itself? No. Um forms of paganism are not necessarily witchcraft like the actual religions that revere the greek gods for example like the uh, hellenic polytheism um heathenry cometicism which revere the norse gods and egyptian gods respectively those are not witchcraft so every flavor of paganism that you see that worships the indigenous gods of a place is not witchcraft they are religions and belief systems and spiritual traditions in their own right and they are not automatically witchcraft 
just because they're outside of the religious mainstream in the West. Can someone be whatever kind of pagan and also be a witch? Of course, many of them are. Um, I would describe myself as both a pagan and a witch, but um, let's use the example. Like I revere Freya, for example. Um, She is an ancestral goddess to me. My ancestors prayed to her. Um, She's part of my religious life. But just because someone prays to Freya does not mean that they are a witch, does not mean they're practicing witchcraft, does not mean the worship of Freya is practicing witchcraft. Can you pray to Freya? and also practice witchcraft? Yes. Um, But it's not necessarily the same thing. And I hope that that distinction makes sense. So when we just brush in really broad strokes and label things that are not witchcraft and call them witchcraft, that's, for one thing, um, it's just incorrect. It's just factually untrue. And on the other hand as well, I don't think it's particularly respectful. And if you've done this without knowing... I'm not trying to shame you or make you feel bad because you don't know what you don't know. Um, but this is also me telling you, like, if you know now, then please stop. I am <laughs> um, not a practitioner of Candomblé, which is one of the African diasporic religions that I discussed in the last, uh, the previous episode of Magic in the Moon. But it is not witchcraft. Um, there are magical aspects to it. But if you were to go ask a Candomblista or an Akumbeja if they are witches, they would say no. Um, most often, of course, unless they also happen to be a witch, which I'm sure there are instances of. Um, so it's it's not this label that we can just kind of put on everything indiscriminately, is what I'm saying. So I hope that makes sense. Um, I hope that it is helpful and good. <laughs> And let's move on to our next um, thing. So another one I want to talk about is smudging. Um, I've noticed people refer to any form of smoke cleansing as smudging. And there's a couple of things I want to say about that. First things first, smudging is a closed practice. It belongs to a group of ceremonial practices belonging to the indigenous peoples of North America um, is a specific part of ceremonies that they do and spiritual practices that they use. So for one thing, any type of smoke cleansing outside of that context is already not going to be smudging because that's just not what it is. So it's really popular to throw that word around casually and to say that, Oh, I'm using sage. So it's smudging. It's I'm using any sort of smoke cleansing with herbs or incense or whatever. So it's smudging. No, it's not. Um, You cannot divorce something from its cultural and spiritual roots and then say that it's the same because it just isn't. Um, Next thing about that. Smudging is a closed practice. The use of white sage is a closed practice. Um, There's kind of different opinions on how to go about that respectively. I've heard on one hand that it's not meant to be used by non-Indigenous people at all. Um, And I've heard also that it's appropriate to use only if it is acquired from Indigenous people with consent and ethically. But uh, I don't know. I'm not an Indigenous 
um, North American. I don't feel qualified to speak on that. Those are things that I've heard. Um, but to give you some alternatives to avoid being appropriative and to avoid spiritual colonialism, you can smoke cleanse with anything. It does not have to be sage. If you want to use sage, you can use blue sage because blue sage is not uh, sacred to indigenous people. And that is also not endangered in the way that white sage is because of over commercialization. So if you want to use sage, use blue sage. Um, but also you don't have to use sage. There's this kind of misconception that you have to cleanse with sage. And that's not true. You don't have to. You can smoke cleanse with any herb. You can smoke cleanse with any incense. You can go to Walmart and get a 99 cent pack of like 100 incense sticks and you can cleanse with those. You can burn any herb you'd like. Make sure it's safe to inhale. <laughs> um, so do some research if you need to. I wouldn't just grab some random plant that you don't know what it is or what effects it has and just start burning it like in your house. But um, you can cleanse with any herb. Um, I like to use lavender, um, rosemary. Um, I can't personally use rosemary because I'm allergic to it, but rosemary is a good one that I know a lot of people use. Um, yeah, you can you can use a lot of things. So um, recap on that really quick. Smudging is not just any sort of smoke cleansing. It's a specific Native American spiritual practice. The use of white sage is a closed practice, even though people's opinions on what that constitutes and what it allows varies. And three, you do not have to use sage at all. Okay, let's move on to the next thing. And I'm sorry that uh, I'm kind of going quickly, but there's a lot of stuff I want to cover. So um, another thing that I want to talk about, and this kind of goes hand in hand with like calling things witchcraft that aren't witchcraft, um, psychic, psychic abilities, all of the Claire things, the so clairvoyance, clairaudience, etc., um, precognition, clairsentience, um, mediumship, communicating with the dead. These things are not necessarily witchcraft. They can be a part of witchcraft, and many times they are. Oftentimes they are. But just because someone is a psychic or a fortune teller or a tarot reader or a palm reader um, or whatever does not mean they are a witch or that they are practicing witchcraft. Um there is quite a bit of precedent for witchcraft being associated with um, communicating with the dead. So that's kind of a little bit more of a gray area to me. It's not as distinct of a boundary, but other stuff is. And I'm not trying to be like a strickler about the rules or like try and shame people for using the wrong vocabulary. But I think the more we can understand what things are, and appreciate the practices that we actually have and do, the more balanced and aware and educated we will be. I think that's a good thing. Um, and again, I'm not saying not to do these things. Um, I work with the dead very consistently. I would call myself a psychic. I do practice divination a lot. And those things are witchcraft because I choose to make them a part of my witchcraft. They are not witchcraft just because they are that inherently. Um, and I think these distinctions matter. I think terminology matters. I think it matters that we understand the words we're using and what they mean and why and how we use them. Couple of things before we move on from this. Chakras are not witchcraft. Um, chakras are actually um, a Hindu concept and have nothing to do with the Western esoteric tradition, nothing to do with Western occultism. 
or the witchcraft movement. Um, they just don't. I'm not saying that you can't utilize those techniques, um, but like with anything from a culture that's not yours, if you're not if you are not Hindu, then I would say be respectful um, and know what you're talking about, know what you're doing, know where it's coming from, and appreciate it for what it is. Because again, lumping it in with witchcraft when that's not what it is is not correct and it's not respectful. Okay. Um, another question that I've seen come up a lot is protection. How do I protect my house from this? Or this weird thing is happening. How do I get rid of it? How do I protect my kids? How do I ward my car or whatever? So the first thing I'm going to say is I've already talked about this quite extensively about protective magic. And I'm going to put this in the link of the episode description. But um, I have a full-length episode on here already about protective magic. It's episode 30. It's called Protective Magic, Cleansing, Banishing, Protecting, and Awarding. So if you have not listened to that yet, I would encourage you to go do so because protective magic is super, super, super important. And if you've been listening to this show for a while at all, you'll know that safety, um, both in the mundane and the spiritual sense, is very, very important to me um, because I, I made mistakes. So I, I've learned from my errors that I hope that you will not have to make. I would rather you guys learn from my mistakes and repeat them and have, you know, hellhounds destroying your house. So go listen to the protective magic episode. If you haven't, maybe you even just need a refresher. Um, super important. So with that being said, I'm going to very, very quickly say a few things about protective magic. So it's in here, but please go listen to the episode. So basic thing, cleansing. What is cleansing? Cleansing is to get rid of unwanted energy. Um, keep in mind, this is not this is not unwanted entities, but just energy. Um, and nothing has to be wrong for you to cleanse. Cleansing is just getting out bad vibes, putting in positive energies, attracting positive energies to you. Um, even if it's just like you kind of feel like kind of blah, it's kind of stale, you're getting rid of those stagnant, stale energies, replacing them with positive ones. That is cleansing. Some ways you can cleanse, smoke. Again, incense, herbs, do so safely, well-ventilated, doors open. Um, keep in mind that small animals don't do well with that because they have very sensitive respiratory systems. So like small cats and dogs, especially things like birds, uh, reptiles and stuff, not ideal. Um, how else can you cleanse? Water cleansing. Water. Um, you can bless some water. You can put some salt in it. You can charge it with a crystal that's safe in water, of course. Most of the quartz crystals do well with that. And you can sprinkle that water around your house on doorways, windowsills, thresholds, staircases, anything that's kind of like a point of entry. Um, another way you can cleanse is with sound. So chimes, bells, uh, play happy songs, play songs that talk about things that you want in your life. Okay. Next for protective magic, uh, banishing. Banishing is getting rid of something. It's not just cleansing things and making things better, get rid of, uh, getting rid of unpleasantness. Banishing is there's this thing in my house. And I need to get it the fuck out of my house. That's what banishing is. Um, so let's say that you have some sort of negative entity in your house. It's some sort of spirit that is malevolent. And also, it doesn't even have to be malevolent because even if they are nice or whatever, just the fact that they are in your house and you didn't invite them is plenty of reason to banish something. Um, with that being said, if they're uninvited and you don't care about that, then like do whatever you want. I would not do that. 
Um, there are spirits that were totally fine. They seem chill, but just because I did not invite them, they get banished if they come to me. Um, like if you came into your house one day and there was a stranger sitting on your couch, you wouldn't be like, oh, but they're friendly. You'd be like, there's a fucking stranger in my house. Same thing spiritually. Banishing. Some ways you can banish. Um, the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram is a great way. It actually banishes, protects, cleanses, and wards. It's a wonderful. I recommend it to everyone. Um, I wouldn't say it's difficult to do, but it is a little bit long-winded. There's a lot of steps involved. So I'm not going to discuss that at length here, but I will post a link in the episode description um, that will give you some instructions on how to do that if you would like to. Um, another way to banish is you can do a sweeping spell. Um, and basically you're going to light candles at your doorway of your house. And you're going to sweep your whole house and every room all the way out until like your pile of dust and dirt and trash and stuff is all right in front of the candles that are lit on either side of your doorway. Then you're going to open your front door and sweep the stuff outside between the two candles, take it outside, you know, put it in a bag, whatever you do, throw it in the trash, walk away, don't look back and blow the candles out. Okay. Um, so that's cleansing. We've done banishing. Next is protecting. Um, and wording is one way of that. And I'm going to talk about wording mostly just because that's kind of the most straightforward and easy way. So what wording means, if you don't know, is basically that you are charming a specific item to act as a protective magical barrier. Um, and you can use anything as a ward. You use a piece of paper with a drawing on it. Uh, sigils can be wards. You could ward a crystal. Um, you could also ward mundane stuff. You could ward your mailbox, um, a chime outside. You could warm, uh, ward a wreath on the door. It doesn't have to be something obvious. You can ward your jewelry and then wear it so you're protected wherever you go. So basically, to ward something, you charge it with protective energy or you charge it with the intention that you want and then you would do whatever you would like with the item. So let's say I want to create a protection ward for my house. So I would find a protective sigil. I would either create one myself or I would find one that I liked. And I'm not going to talk about how to create a sigil here because I've talked about that before. But um, create a sigil. So get your protection sigil. Um, I'm going to write it on a piece of paper. I'm going to charge it with that energy. I'm going to incorporate things that have protective properties in them. So for example, I might use some black tourmaline crystals. I might use some black pepper some rosemary, um, and just really charge that with that energy of protection. And then I'm going to get that sigil and I'm going to put it, let's say, um, under the front mat of my house, or I'm going to put it um, in the mailbox right in front of my house. That way, anything that crosses that threshold is going to hit that ward and the negativity and the unwanted energy and the danger or whatever it is, is not going to be able to come into the house. That's an example of a ward. Another one that I like to do is I like to ward my jewelry. So I'll do the same thing with my jewelry and then I'll just wear it wherever I go and then I'm good. Okay, that's protection stuff. Enough about that. Let's go to the next thing. Um, another thing that I hear come up a lot is like, I'm new to witchcraft. Where do I start? Or, you know, there's someone that's new and they don't know where to begin. And I just want to say, um, everyone was a beginner once. Every one of us was a beginner at one point or another. So don't feel bad about being new. Don't let other people feel 
don't let other people make you feel bad about being new. It's okay. It's okay to be overwhelmed. It's okay not to understand where to go or what to look for because it's hard. Um, so the, the thing that is tricky about this is the place that's good to begin um, is going to vary a lot depending on how you would like to practice witchcraft. Um, someone that is Wiccan likely would not need the same beginner materials as someone who is not interested in Wicca. Um, if you're looking to do some sort of ancestral folk magic, you would need to look to that. So let's say you want to do some folk magic of your ancestors, um, the way that they would have practiced it, and you want to do that, look into your ancestors. Where are you from? Let's say you're French, for example. Like you have French ancestry. Look into that. Research that. Look into French folk magic. Look into what, how witchcraft is practiced um, by ethnically French people, like that kind of stuff. If and the same goes for whatever that would be. If it's you know Mexican folk magic, Brazilian folk magic, Italian or like whatever, anything, African, anything. Um, those that are interested in getting into like magical religions, um, like Wicca, like Druidry, like. Um, you know, like the Minoan Brotherhood, things like that. Like um, the the way to start for that stuff, um, I would try to find books on the topics and some are better than others. And to be honest, there's not really a good way to know beforehand. You kind of just have to sift through it and you might read some, not might, you will. You will read some bad books along the way, but you'll get there, I promise. Um, and those religions oftentimes are initiatory. So you will need to seek out um, a mentor and a teacher that can kind of talk to you and put you on the right direction and teach you and then see if you're a good fit. And then if all goes well, they will initiate you into the religion. Um, and most of those have uh, some sort of internet page where you can get in contact with them. So either like a secret page on Facebook um, or they might have a website or something like that. So that's my quick little two cents about where to start if you're new. Okay, so... Next one is resources for like herbs and plants. Like they don't know what kind of plants to use or what herbs to use in what way or for what situation. Um, there are a lot of great books about that and you can get some cool, you know, witchy books. But to be honest, um, go online to like some sort of botanical library um, or if there's like a a local college or university near you that has an agricultural department, go talk to them about their books because the mundane just academic knowledge of like the basic either nutritional or medicinal uses for plants is going to be really helpful because for one thing, it's a good way to learn what is safe to eat you and what is not what not to eat you. I'm sorry. Uh, what is safe for you to eat and what is not. And also that knowledge of the mundane will help with the knowledge of the magic of the herbs because oftentimes their magical properties uh, are very much connected to their mundane ones. So like salt, for example, which isn't really an herb, but you see where I'm going with it. Salt is um, just naturally in cooking and it's, it's a preservative. Um, salt was used to preserve meat before the invention of refrigeration. It dries, it cures, it cleanses. So magically, salt does that. It cleanses, it protects, um, it preserves things. That's why for protection stuff, you can sprinkle salts um, 
around your house on doorways and windowsills. You can set items and crystals and salt to charge them with protective energy. That's an example of that. And I get, I understand that salt is not an herb and that probably wasn't the best example, but you get what I mean about like the mundane influencing the, the magical. Okay. So we're coming up on close to the end of our time. So let's try and get a couple quick things here. Okay. So another one is like, basically how do you know the reliability of a source? Um, and this is not a lot of time left to explain this, but I'm going to try my best. And I think our ability to test the reliability of a source of information is great for us as witches, but it's also just an important skill to have in life in general. Okay, so how to know if a source is reliable. For one thing, think about who wrote it. Well, don't think about it. Find out. <laughs> Find out who wrote it. Find out um, if that person is qualified. And again, that's not to sound elitist or like gatekeepy, but when someone is publishing information that they're saying is to do something and they're trying to educate people um, and trying to cause something that has influence, they need to know what they're talking about. Um, so find out if they're a credible source, find out who they wrote it, if they're qualified, find out how they wrote it and what their sources are. Those are some quick ways. Um, you need to have an unbiased source and needs to be backed up with evidence. Um, that's really quick, but for the sake of time, that's all that I'm going to say about that. So we are coming over. The, we are coming up on the end of our time, and I hope you guys enjoyed that episode, even though it was kind of random and rapid fire. But I'm so excited to be back with you. That's all I have for you this week, and I will see you all next time.